Hello, I'm Scott Soshko. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Michael Barr, and this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Podcast, where... You and I. Yes. Explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I knew he was going to do it. He's a kvetcher. You know kvetch? You know the word kvetch? What is that? You look it up. Okay. Better to, to teach a man to fish. Okay. <laughs> Today, we begin with the New York Knicks and the hopes and dreams of Knicks fans as we enter free agency season. Owner Jim Dolan spoke with Michael K on ESPN Radio last month about his team's latest losing season, despite what he says are his best efforts. You know, we take, you know, the, the investment into the team to the max that we can take it, that we do everything we can to make the, 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 uh, the game experience as, as great of a game experience, even when we lose right for our fans. The, the, uh, you know, we spent a billion dollars renovating the, the uh, Madison Square Garden. But I do believe that, you know, there is, you know, a, a malcontent group that's always very vocal, and I think they'll always be there. So, gentlemen, as Jim Dolan and the Knicks head into the offseason, will this time be different? Well, first of all, Barr, as somebody who did the tour and wrote about this quite a bit, he would be very upset, Mr. Dolan, if one of his employees called it a renovation. Because they were charged with telling everybody it was not a renovation of the building. It was a transformation. No renovation. Yes, transformation. Billion-dollar transformation. Billion-dollar transformation. That, the question is, can they transform the Knicks into a winner? That, and, I, and I wanted to discuss this today because the New York Times did a, a big piece on Will Dolan. Is he the reason that free agents will not come to New York? And one of the people they spoke with was David Stern, who, of course, we've had on this show, who called the Knicks once not a model of intelligent management. And David and I, I believe, see see the same on, on this one, that Dolan will not keep free agents, whether it's Kevin Durant, whether it's Kyrie Irving, if they get lucky and get Zion Williamson in the draft, or whether they'll try and trade for Anthony Davis. Free agents are not looking at the owner of the New York Knicks and saying, well, that guy's medley. He has some problems with some fans. One, do they have the room to pay me? That's one. What can I do? What's my lifestyle off the court? Two, and that includes, you know, can I make some money there? And LeBron proved if you're a big enough star, it doesn't really matter where you are. So the mindset, let's say Kevin Durant. Does, does Kevin Durant really believe that if he goes to New York, they're going to stink? No. Does he exactly? No. They're the solution, right? Yeah. That's the difference here. The, the ego does not allow. Well, if I'm well, there, we're going to be bad. Well, what happens if you get Kevin Durant? And yes, you do get Zion Williamson. So I, I'm just I'm playing the what if game. Toss here. Kyrie Irving in there Toss too. Kyrie, yeah. Yeah. Throw Kyrie Irving in there. Zion's a draft. This right. this team is going to be significantly better next year. Could possibly be one of the best teams on paper in the East. In just a couple months, right? They they have the the 14% chance to get the number one pick to get Zion, right? The the best odds, I believe, they, yeah. they had the worst record. Um, they're going to pick top five no matter what. 40% to pick top three. They're going to get a good draft pick. They also have two max contract slots available. Yes. And, and a pretty decent free agent class at that. Um, if they add Zion and two good free agents or even... R.J. Barrett, whatever the number three pick is, yes. and two two max contracts, this team is going to be so much better the than they question, have The question, if I were a free agent or and the agent for said person, 
I would look into the basketball management. How do they manage the assets that they have? Do they draft well? Those sorts of things would concern me. Now that falls on Steve Mills and Scott Perry, the GM. And Dolan. Well, if, if Jim inserts himself into the process, of course, he was the one who wanted Carmelo Anthony when realistically, I mean, anybody would have told him, just wait for the year to end, and I believe Donnie Walsh did. Why are we giving up our assets to get Carmelo Anthony in the middle of the season when we can just wait till the end of the year and sign him as a free agent and keep the assets? But Carmelo wanted now, and Jimmy wanted now. Um, Maybe he learned from that. Maybe not. I don't know. But still, they spend money. It is New York, the number one media market in the country. It is a desirable location for free agents. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And, and to just to underscore how bad they've been recently. Why did he use the word underscore? The, <laughs> the, the Knicks, they haven't, they've won one playoff series since 2001. No bueno. Yeah. No, it's been no bueno. Terrible. But, but it's, still, it's still a place to be and a place to be seen. Without, without question. Yeah, it's still and, an event. When the Knicks play, it's still an event. And we had Sean Marks, the GM of the Nets, on the podcast a couple weeks ago. Uh, and Scott, you asked him towards the end of the interview, you know, if you were pitching a free agent on coming to the Knicks or the Nets, what's the pitch to get them to come to the Nets? Uh, it's a relevant question now because the Nets also have a pretty significant amount yeah. of cap space. Um, I think if you were to look at the teams as they're constituted right now, the Nets made the playoffs. The Knicks didn't, but the Nets certainly seem like they have more young pieces to build around. Seems they've started to transform a culture. Agreed. We we believe that. However, the brand, as you're saying, the brand of playing in Brooklyn for the Nets or playing at Madison Square Garden in the Knicks, it's such a a vast difference there. (laughs) Old schoolers, remember the old ABC NBA game of the week? And a lot of times you would probably see. Are you going red, white, and blue ball on me? Uh, you no, no, this is even before <laughs> you that. Going Dr. J on Long I, Island. I, what are you doing I'm, to me? <laughs> I'm going Willis Reed on you, man. <laughs> this is when the Knicks would play the Lakers. You would see it all the time. I mean, you had both coasts, big cities, and you would see these games all the time. And as a kid, I enjoyed watching that. So there's like, a whole like, generation bar who yeah. thought it was just the Celtics and the Lakers in the championship yeah. every year. Yeah, <laughs> nobody true. else really got a chance. It was just like you play, and then at the end, we'll see the Celtics and the Lakers. Oh, I miss those days. Anyway, let's uh, shift gears now to college ball with a long-awaited trial over allegations of corruption in college basketball kicking off today. Yeah, the the second of the three different uh, college basketball, you know, recruiting scandal, FBI investigation cases uh, starts this week uh, in New York. The the big one a couple months ago kind of focused around the money that gets paid uh, to families and and athletes to to go to specific schools. This one focusing more on the money paid to coaches uh, in, in exchange for kind of nudging players to sign with a specific agent or a specific consultant when they're, when they're ready to go pro. Um, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of testimony, a lot of evidence. I would imagine these next couple of weeks are going to be filled with little relevant revelations in court that, you know, this coach took, you know, $20,000 for, for this player. We're going to see a lot of big names, both from a player standpoint and from a coaching standpoint, uh, being brought up in, in these next few weeks. So far has this whole thing ever been not been a big fizzle. It I was mean, supposed it, it, to transform everything, and all I know is that Rick Pitino's coaching in Greece. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it, it depends on how you define fizzle, right? The the first trial, you know, all three guys were 
found guilty, right? They were all convicted of of, of jail. They, I they mean, got in jail the transformation time. of college sports and college basketball. Yeah, it hasn't it has not changed that much. I think the in general there there is certainly a subset of of college sports fans out there who think one that you know the the rules need to be changed significantly, uh, but B you know think it's kind of ridiculous that you know we're we're holding up the victims in this case are the schools. Right. And, and the argument is that, you know, the government was defrauded because they give money to the schools, but also that the schools were de- defrauded um, because, you know, the the way in which, you know, these coaches went beyond, you know, the rules in their uh, employment contract, the way they went beyond the honor code of the school, the way they went beyond uh, amateurism rules for the NCAA. Right. That all those things kind of defrauded the schools. Um and yeah, I think there's an argument to be made that that's it's kind of a paper victim in some ways, right? Because the truth is that you know a lot of times the schools are the schools are getting they're getting these athletes, right? They they are they are receiving the goods and the advantage that comes along with with this. Bribery. There's a legal benchmark that that is is out there called willful blindness, <laughs> and, yeah. and I, I you always have to wonder how much of this on the institution stand uh, standpoint. Is willful blindness. Well, yeah. but that's the thing I wanted to bring up too is that I guess as a society, we had to, we always thought of college sports as, hey, that's my team, rah, rah, I was very innocent. We weren't looking at it as a business many years ago. And then one day, society said, wait, this is a business. Well, one day ESPN Absolutely. paid a ton of money yeah. to put it on TV. Right. I mean, that's that was the big thing. And if we want to continue the legalese, I'll just give you the race ipsa loquitur. <laughs> there, are, there are a lot more schools involved in this one. Uh, that that first trial focused so much on on Louisville and Kansas. You know, this time we have USC, South Carolina, Oklahoma State, TCU, LSU, Creighton. Um, you know, the the two big names that that people in the in in, in this world are talking about right now. Sean Miller, the head coach at Arizona. You know, still has who, a job. There's who, been a lot out there. Still is, has is a job. still employed. Has, has refuted a lot of the argument or, or a lot of the things that have been reported about him. Um, and the second one being LSU coach Will Wade, um, who was was not behind the bench when LSU made their run in the NCAA tournament this year. Um, both of them came out last weekend. Don't have to testify, which I think is a, is a downer for some people who are expecting some juiciness. But there's no question that there is going to be evidence brought forth in the next couple of weeks that possibly directly ties them to payments. Um, and who knows what other head coaches and other big names might be. Might Not everybody can be as clean as the Syracuse Orange Bar. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> save, the, save this audio <laughs> for two weeks from now. <laughs> Why the chuckles? <laughs> Finally. I, this, is, I'm, this is sad. And I and it's it's final. It's a story we've been covering extensively. It is because it is official now. The AAF, the Alliance of American Football, has filed for bankruptcy. Guys, it looks like uh, it's over before it even got off the ground. Dreams just shot the smithereens. I, I feel bad. Playing the role of Evan Novi Williams will be me. Uh, from the filing, forty-eight point four million in liabilities, eleven point four million in assets. Is that good? <laughs> yeah, liabilities much greater than assets. That's when Chapter Seven filings happen. And just five hundred and thirty-six thousand in in cash on hand. Um, bunch of creditors here. Some big names: CBS, you know, five million. MGM, seven million. MGM's the biggest creditor. A number yeah. of universities: ASU, I think one point one point two million. Um, this is Chapter Seven bankruptcy. I mean, what a mess, right? I mean, it, it, we we had an idea of some of the details of, of of the financial situation the AAF was in. This kind of crystallizes it in some ways. Does this all hinge because the AAF couldn't strike a deal with the NFL for some of their farm players? 
Go no, ahead, Evan. No. you and I both scratch our head yeah, when we I hear this. Yeah, I think the answer to that is no. I mean, Tom Dundon, who invested in the AAF pretty early and, and quickly became you know, the executive chairman, he was very public about wanting this, this deal with the NFL in which the AAF would have been a kind of a feeder league where NFL player, NFL teams could send down practice squad players, et cetera, to get more reps. Um, he clearly wanted that um, and you know, said a couple weeks before it folded that he was willing to fold the league if he didn't get it. Um, and wow. in the end, he didn't. We have not. St- we still have not heard from Tom Dundon publicly uh, in in kind of coordination with this bankruptcy. Charlie Eversall, the TV producer who was one of the co-founders, he gave an interview, uh, Sports Business Journal. He talked a bit about kind of what it looked like from from his perspective. As Charlie said it, you know, he didn't feel like this was a directly a money issue. I mean, obviously, you know, they knew they were going to lose money in in the beginning. The fact that they were were low on cash, I don't think, was a huge surprise to him. He felt as though the plan should have been or was, you know, to to to, to get to the end of the season, pay back the debtors that they needed to pay back, and then kind of take stock of where they were going to be for season two. Seems pretty clear that Tom Dundon, who had all the authority because he was the executive chairman, that he felt differently. Um, this, from what I understand, this bankruptcy filing was filed by. Charlie himself, so not from from Tom Dundon's camp, um, but yeah, still you know there's still some kind of a little bit of mystery shrouded in exactly how this thing unwound. Yeah, I'll take the very basic stance of if one wanted or needed an affiliation with the NFL and NFLPA to have sort of a business plan that you think would have a better chance of survival, <laughs> one ought to solidify that agreement prior to launch of the league. Well, that's I mean, true. No, no, I Agreed. don't think that Agreed. that's not a Harvard MBA speaking right there. However, there was no agreement. There was no impetus for the NFLPA to agree to Yeah, such they needed a deal. to talk to Demore Smith big time about this. Yeah. And I don't think there were any really hard talks about it. Yeah. discussions, if at all, about making this happen. And l- let me go one step further. I'm not so sure I would be all that excited if NFL practice squad players were allowed to go to the AAF because I probably have heard of 5% of them. So I'm not sure that's the big difference maker either. Other than, one, the affiliation, the official affiliation with the NFL and perhaps some promotion and and marketing might say, hey, you want NFL, you got to give some airtime to this as well. Um, I, I'm not sure that would be the saving grace either. One other little item from that bankruptcy filing, um, Charlie Ebersol continued to be paid after the league ceased operations, including a $15,000 salary payment that came, I think, a week prior to the uh I like the cell the phone filing. reimbursement. What was, the, what was the final yeah, thing? Yeah, $37 for the cell phone reimbursement. <laughs> Scott, I know you're a Sun Tzu fan. Uh, Leaders Eat Last, I believe, is one of, his, eat, yes. one of his tenants. Uh, it doesn't appear like that was... Uh, if, that was under if under the practice. army sleeps out in the rain, the general must sleep out in the rain as well. If he's got a tent, they will not follow. If the players get stranded at the hotel, yeah, you, <laughs> the founder you, needs to be stranded. You better, at the you hotel better be with your cell phone cut off, saying I can't get an Uber. Right. <laughs> By the way, we mentioned Demora Smith, and anybody who does not know Demora Smith, head of the NFLPA. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scott Sosnick and Evan Novi williams We are here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week when we speak with Wes Edens, co-owner of the Milwaukee Bucks, the top seed in the Eastern Conference. Get out of here, really? I was going to say, Barr doesn't know that yet, so he just found that. out. I go. just found out right now. Oh, yeah, my big, goodness. Big Wes. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio, around the world and online, where you get your podcasts. 